0: In our study tonight, we want to continue our study of God and thinking along the lines of the goodness, the severity of God, uh, things that go along with God. And we've talked about the love of God and what he does for us, has done for us, will do for us. And we want to continue that thought uh, tonight. Before we begin, I would like to let you know that uh, Ms. Terrilyn Jenkins has had a fall this afternoon, uh, today at some point, and um, is in the ER. And uh, I believe they've told her that she's broken her left arm and uh, left shoulder. Um, So remember her in your prayers as well. Um, as long as many others that we've got been praying for, and uh, of course I don't know what Miss Sonya found out, is uh, she better with Jimmy or, okay, so let's uh, let's remember these folks and our prayers, our number's kind of down tonight, we've got some traveling, so we wish them safety and uh, hope they're well and. Good things are with with those folks. All right, in the book of Romans in chapter 11 was read just a moment ago. We read there the 15 through 22, and I want to focus there tonight just on the thought of verse 22. Uh, And we're saying there, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God, and those who fail. Severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off, as one version puts it. And as we've mentioned just a few moments ago, in the last few lessons, we've examined several attributes of God and how it's related to man's relationship with him. We've discussed the significance of the love of God and grace and his mercy and his long suffering with mankind. But in the last one, I believe what we talked about, we looked at how God is good and faithful, truth and wisdom as well as light and begin looking at his judgment. And, but a lot of folks we can say tonight as, as We've known and seen through many, many times and through many years. A lot of folks stop at the benevolent part of God. They stop at the attributes of God as what he is as far as all the good things, things that he gives us, things that he has done for us and will do and those types of things. But again, a lot of their studies end at that point. But there's another side of God that we need to give consideration to. And again, the attributes of judgment. And I want us to examine those things, and we've mentioned these in some of the prior lessons as well, but a little closely, more closely at looking at these attributes as far as God being righteous and just. In the book of Psalms, in 116, and verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. We've talked about the righteousness of God. We've talked about the goodness of God and good being better, as we defined it, while righteous meaning one who keeps the law. Romans chapter 5, in verses 6 through 8, gives you that distinction of what a righteous person is and most certainly God is good but he is also righteous meaning that he, uh, the word righteous meaning to observe divine and human laws but one who is such as ought to be one who keeps the laws and we know that God is not bound by human law but the laws he has made, he keeps, and therein lies his righteousness. Associated with righteousness is the word just. In fact, in the Greek language, the word dekalos, dekalos I mean, is used to describe both terms. The word just uh, helps us to understand what it means to be more righteous or what it is to be righteous. When we think of God's justice, we know that He is fair to all and impartial in His judgments, and it is part of being righteous. So when we think about the righteousness of God, it means God is right and just. It's evident in His holiness and will as well as His infinity. God does not submit. To the standard of another. His standard is right. He is the right. He's right in his judgments. His words are demands. And in his actions. And you know we do well. As mankind. Not to question. God's ways. You see our blessing lies in the fact. That he is good. And he cares for us. It is, it's impossible to obey or be indifferent. It should be impossible, Let me put it that way, for someone not to obey or not to, to be the way they should be toward God for what all he, he has done. So when we say righteousness that he is righteous and just toward us. In the book of Psalm, in 145, in verse 17, the scripture in the Bible says that the Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his ways. 119 of Psalms, in verse 142, reveals that his righteousness will never change. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. When you go back into the book of Romans, in chapter 1 and verse 17, verse 17 speaks of his righteousness revealed from faith to faith to the gospel. You know, I find it interesting that it lies right behind when you go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, that scripture that we all know that Paul has, has uh, uh, written down, and, and as Paul is saying here, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now notice in verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then in verse 18, if you go on in Romans chapter one, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may we be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And then it starts going into uh, describing how bad the, the things are with the Roman people and they're in Rome in the next few verses. But his word reveals his righteousness. Psalms 119 and verse 172 in that book, it says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. And the book of Romans has a lot to say about God's righteousness. When you turn on over in the book of Romans in chapter 3, and chapter chapter 3, and verses 25 and 26. It says, when God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, in verse 26, it says to us, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He demonstrates his righteousness. How? By sending Jesus to die for us. Why? Because of sin. And the scripture goes on, God would be righteous and just to simply destroy us. But the greatness of his righteousness is seen in those provisions that he gives us a second chance. To make ourselves right. and providing and implementing a plan. To forgive us. But there's another side. To this righteousness. Of God. And it's called punishment. Of the wicked. Being righteous. God must deal with those. Who do not obey his will. Still in the book of Romans. In chapter 2 and verse 5. The Bible says. But in accordance With your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring. You are treasuring for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. One might ask the question, How can God be righteous if he forgives the sins of some while not forgiving others? Well, the answer lies in his universal call. God has offered the same plan to me right here in Tennessee as he has someone living across the other side of the world. He's universal in that. All of mankind, he has offered the plan And he's offered that same plan to mankind. He is willing to forgive all. His righteous judgment will be based individually toward each person. Based upon whether or not he is willing to comply with his instructions. You see, there's conditions. Whether he is willing to comply with God's instructions. You know, let us all learn from his righteousness to live righteously. You know, we, we, we have that call. We have that um, sounding, resounding call from the book of, of, of our God and, and the word of God to live righteous. Now, we've talked about all of this in many lessons, but when we talk about this righteousness and the goodness of God, God is jealous in Exodus chapter 20 and verses 3 and 5, the second and the third commandments, when we read those, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Well, what just does it mean that he is a jealous God? We've heard that, hadn't we? When we think of jealousy, we usually see it in a bad sense. And jealousy is often, is evil but we sometimes confuse jealousy with envy. We have to understand that envy is a desire to have that which belongs to another and deprive them of whatever that may be. And while jealousy is a passion for that which rightfully belongs to you, we could say even then it can involve wrong attitudes. But interestingly, the word jealous in the Greek language is zelos from which we derive our word zeal. At times it is translated as far as zealous in the Greek language there, as zealous. And at other times, jealous. The Old Testament word is similar in its use. A good example of the word or the use of jealousy would be a lot of times in relationships, especially in marriage relationships, Properly, when maybe a husband or wife sees someone trying to uh, talk and move their way in, maybe on their spouse, and alienate them, it's time to be jealous. Jealous enough to do something about it. And take appropriate measures to secure your marriage. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, scripture says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And when you compare the two of jealousy and you say, if a husband sees his wife talking to another man and becomes resentful or angry, he's actually not acting in the interest of his marriage. But rather, he is acting out of selfishness and possessiveness. This usually leads to more problems and demands or damages to the relationship. But when we take that concept in that concept and we say God is jealous in the good sense, the two examples you had we had a good sense and then we had the sense that was not so good in the possessive part of being jealous. But God is jealous in the good sense. In every passage that deals with the jealousy of God in the Bible, it addresses loyalty to him. It involves one taking that which belongs to God, mainly in the words and the thoughts of worship, praise, honor, and devotion, and giving it to another. Now we find this most frequently dealing with idols. The point of God's jealousy is that he demands that those who belong to him act like it. We must put God first in all things. You go back to that that, uh, definition there. Addressing the loyal to him. Taking things that belong to God. Let me read them again. Worship, praise, honor, and devotion. And when someone gives those things to something else, God's a jealous God. And it also becomes a sin. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, and verses 12 through 14, there's a warning to Israel to not make a covenant with the nation of Canaan. Why? Because of their idolatry, we read. The Bible says, For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, in Moses' farewell address, he says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And it was kind of in this study amazing to me that you have Moses' farewell in Exodus. You have Joshua's farewell in Joshua 24, and verse 19. And in his speech, and this is where Joshua challenges Israel to choose between Jehovah God and the gods of the nations that they uh, yet, uh, had yet to drive out of the Canaan, Canaan's land. But he challenged them that they respond, that they would follow the Lord. He knew their will said, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And he was speaking of in that farewell address of idolatry. You see the jealousy of God in passages such as Isaiah, chapter 42 and verse 8, where he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved enemies, or images rather. All that is in the Old Testament, but you flip over to the New Testament in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and 22. Even in the New Testament, Paul says, flee from what? Idolatry. He explains that they cannot serve God with a divided interest. Verse 22 says, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Again there in 1 Corinthians 10 and throughout that chapter and all the way down to verse 22. You remember in James chapter 4 and verse 5, James writes where he says the friendship with the world is enmity with God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? We can say tonight, truly, God is a jealous God. But only in the sense that he wants what is best for us. He is jealous when others try to steal us from him. And he's jealous when we try to divide our loyalties that belong to him with another. I've got a note here and a question. Have you ever considered these thoughts in light of the chastisement of God? Turning your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, I want us to read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And you're going to find in this passage that it speaks of the chastening of God. And let me say this on the beginning. We may not fully understand how God chastens us today. But I suspect that one way he does is by withholding his goodness and blessings. And when we are living in sin and refuse to repent. Let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you. Bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Again, that passage we may not fully understand how God chastens us today. But again, by withholding that goodness and blessings, when we're living in sin and refuse to repent, God chastises us. When we, his children, are misbehaving, we often suffer, sometimes physically. Consequences of actions uh, with things that do not work out. We could go on with that, Liz but at other times emotionally because our, our conscience torments us. You see, if you or I are living in sin and our life seems to be miserable or is miserable, be thankful. One says, well, why? Because God has not given up on you yet. That's the thought. He's a jealous God for your service and for you to come back. He wants you to come back. But know that such things will only last so long because God's a jealous God. When we're not living the way we should be living and we're not doing what we should be doing, And the jealousy of God comes out and he withholds those things and we go through difficult times. We need to be the first person to ask and say, what do I need to do? Am I in the right relationship with God? Now, with all that said of jealousy and envy of how God works, we could say God is impartial. When you think about the word impartial, It should come to mind that it means to act without or think without a bias. To render action or judgment equitably to all. We also could say that it means to act without any prejudices. And we could say tonight that God is truly him partial First Peter chapter 1 in verse 17 the Bible reads and says to us if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear without Partiality. As Peter spoke in the book of Acts in chapter 10 and verses 34 and 35, of course, Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. He said to Cornelius, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, that goes back to what is right righteousness, but that righteousness is accepted by him. One other point on this thought. While God is impartial, it does not mean that all will receive the same judgment. His impartiality lies Within the standard by which all will be judged. John 12, verse 48, says that we will be judged by these words in the last days. What words? The Word of God in the Bible. He says that he will use that standard universally. We spoke of God's righteousness, his justice, and his jealousy. And each of these demands that he enforces his standard without partiality. Colossians 3 and 25 says, But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. You go back to the book of Romans in chapter 2, verses 6 and verse 11, It's worth noting that God, with righteous judgment, will render to each one according to his or her deeds. In the last few moments, you go back to Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. God is severe and a God of wrath. The severity of God in that verse of chapter 11 and verse 22 takes you back to the second chapter where Paul spoke of God's judgment. And in that text, Paul spoke of the hope that the godly have. But he also addressed the wrath of God. I think that's a worth note to go back and study that. When we think of wrath, we think of uncontrolled anger and rage. But while it involves rage and anger, it's far from uncontrolled in the hands of God. When we think about wrath, we think about wrath in the worldly way, don't we? Uncontrolled, but the wrath of God has reference to how he does and will respond to sin that has not been repented of. God's wrath in the Old Testament was always directed toward those rebellious and ungodly people. Why? Because God by his nature will not and cannot Tolerate sinfulness and rebellion against him. It's contrary to the attributes of God. Even the ones that we've discussed in later uh, lessons that we've uh, looked at. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 again says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Tonight, I ask you the question, have we, lost, have we lost the reality of God's wrath? One of the results of many of the movements that are moving across our society and nation today It is a softening of teaching on the severity and the wrath of God. Many people will teach and preach his love and his goodness, but they ignore his demands for righteousness and justice in our lives toward him. They ignore the consequences of disobedience. And as a result, when you ignore those consequences for disobedience, there's no fear of God. So, therefore, in our society and world today, and unfortunately, sometimes in the Lord's church, man does whatever he or she wants in the name of the Lord and assumes God will accept it. They change up worship, they change up different things and how wrong those people are. Romans 11 and verse 33 as we close. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Through this study, hope that we lay out the attributes of God and understand him more and i hope that through this study that we can understand him more and truly appreciate who he is and what he's capable of and why he does those things so as tonight we think about the jealousy and the envious part of God and the right kind of jealousy god has for his people would god be jealous of you tonight or me Because I've taken what's deserving of him of worship and praise and all those things and put it towards something else. Would God be jealous of me or you? Maybe we find ourselves in sin and he sees us leaning toward things of worldly things. And he begs you to repent. He begs you to change your ways and to come back to him. We're all going to be judged one day. I believe that every one of you believe that. If not, you wouldn't be here tonight. God's going to to judge us. God's going to use the word of God, his words, to judge us in the last days. So tonight, maybe you need to become a Christian or maybe you need to repent of those sins that's alienating you from God and the right relationship with God. We encourage you to do that. We encourage you to think about that, that let God do His part, but we willing to do your part as well, by coming to Him, asking for forgiveness, repenting, confessing those sins, and wanting to make things right with God. Tonight, whatever your need may be, please come, let's go we stand and as we sing.